Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. It was a rock bottom that just kept getting deeper and deeper until finally I was like, fuck it, I have to do something here because otherwise I know how this is going to end and it's not pretty. Dilruk, 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 Jai Singer. Can anyone guess why a kid in Sri Lanka in the 90s would have hated Australia? Sri Lanka's hopes of winning this test came to a dramatic end. Not only is this guy capable of destroying Sri Lanka's batting lineup, Warnie might root mum. I need to prove myself. And turns out that being able to scull a pint in four seconds was like I had gone from a week of no one knowing who the fuck I was at all to a week later and some random goes hey are you the Sri Lankan guy that can scull pints <laughs> this is not a healthy way to live do you think you've been chasing reward systems all your life shit what a good question food is this massive blind spot of mine when my life feels out of balance you feel like you are not in control of what's happening in your life choosing a destructive behavior feels like i'm still in control it's this constant wrestle is this what i've signed up to to constantly keep fucking up in life and then sharing it in a humorous way i need to learn how to not disappoint myself Dilruk Jaisinga, welcome to Straight Talk. How do I go? Very good. Actually, it's like I said, you gave it a, a like a raw grow as well, just to see how you go. And I said you're very close. It's just there's an invisible G that my ancestors have dropped, but it needs to be pronounced because it's Jaisinga, like someone singing songs. And you said earlier on the other swan, I want to ask you why the fuck they bother dropping a G. Why, why <laughs> I know it's so frustrating. And I'll tell you what's more frustrating for me is because my first name is technically Ishan, but I've never used it. It's some astrologer. Or astronomer, whichever one is the the one that's a bit less scientifically backed one. Uh, my parents went to one of them and they said, "Oh, this child can't have D in his first name. It has to be the the first name has to start with I or something." Anyway, so that's never been a problem in Sri Lanka because in Sri Lanka we have quite a few people with a bunch of names before the the given name. So like Chamin Devas, the famous cricketer, he has like Varnakulusuria Upasanta, uh, Patapendige, Joseph Chamin Devas. Like it's huge long name. So it's quite common in Sri Lanka, but over here. Everyone wants your first name. So bank details, everything, rental agreements, always Ishan. And sometimes I get put on flights where they book me as Dilruk, but I can't get my frequent flight. So what, what does your passport say? So it's Ishan. Ishan okay. Dilruk Diaz Jai Singer. So and, but Dilruk is your, like your middle name. Well, it's just the name I've always used. Ishan. So in Sri Lanka, it's quite common to have a first name that's kind of like how we treat uh, you know, the middle name's here. It's just there for some reason, you know? And it's it, it really annoys me to the point where I think I might drop my, like officially change my name to just Dilruk to be the first one. Well, given that Aussies um, always want a short name, I mean, have you experienced anything 
in in Australia. Um, have you any experience anyone trying to shorten your name like uh, Delhi Abs- or Rookie or? Oh, absolutely! That was like literally within the first two days of uni or something like that. I said <laughs> Dilruk, and Dilruk is actually it's quite easy when you break it down, yeah. but it's just a collection of consonants that shouldn't be next to each other so close, like L K R. You know, it's like throws people off. So I got Dil a lot, but it took about ten months before um, I was at the Caulfield Cup. One of my mates took me to the races for the first time, and uh, his mum was there. She had a few champagnes and he's like oh this is my friend dill and she's like dill oh that's an unfortunate name <laughs> and i was like wait why why is dill because of like she's like oh because it means you're stupid and i was like what i didn't know that that i've been going around calling myself a dill and all my mates i don't know whether they're laughing behind my back or not but now it's stuck and i'm kind of embraced it now well, being rookie, a bit of a rookie deal. Is just as bad yeah rookie not bad i actually nearly call uh, there's a sunrise a weatherman sam mack he's yeah, given yeah. me a show title called uh, dill rookie errors or dill rookie mistakes and i'm like i might one day do a show like that like just a fun little title you know because uh, i've always done a dill pun i've never done a rook pun yeah I'm, I'm always making rookie errors with my kids and i often say and i do or say stupid things mm. and i go that's that's my they always have a crack at me on we like a group chat they yeah. always have a crack at me and my my response always is rookie error yeah so you want right. to be rookie so can i just go back a little bit so sure um born in sri lanka born in colombo yeah born sri lanka. Colombo, yep uh just give us a bit of a thing about like talk to me about uh colombo uh, like in terms of you being a young kid growing up there because i've been there i have a recollection of it yeah but it just not many people have been there yeah so i think my perspective of my childhood is different to what it would be in general purely because i grew up in during the war you know so the civil war mm. uh and from the time i was born that was the reality explain the civil war so the civil war was between the essentially the the, the sri lankan government versus the tamil rebellion yep. you know and so uh the tamil tigers that was the name of the rebellion so from the time i was born this was always kicking off lots and of bombings lots of bombings so uh, you know when i think back to 1995 i think yeah i was in i was 10 years old and and we had like six months off school because there was a bomb threat to the schools. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's so sad and crazy. But I was 10, which meant that I had six months to just watch Baywatch. And I was loving life. You know what I mean? That's what I, I was like, my God, Pamela Anderson <laughs> while having breakfast. This is the best ever, you know? So it just, it, it, it's this funny thing when it's only when I zoom out, look back that I realize how hectic it was because otherwise it's just your reality. You know, you're just used to, you just know not to, you know, I, I remember even a couple of years ago when someone pointed out how parents, if they had two children, the dad would go with one child, the mom would go with another child in different buses in case one of the buses blew up, at least one of the kids survived. Like that kind of thinking, it's just crazy to think that's what we grew up with. And, you know, if there was a bomb attack, the news uh, and the newspapers would have graphic pictures of all of that, whereas we would never show kissing on the screens. And I'm all I'm like, now as a 38 year old who's lived in Australia for 20 years now, I look back and go, wow, how bizarre that they're like, no, 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 we can't show kissing, but this severed head, yeah, sure, sure, let the kids see that, you know? So, so just, if you just mind giving me a little bit of a history help here. Yeah. Um, the, the Tamil Tigers were rebel uh, a rebel group but it was was it religious based because the no, no. came out of the bottom didn't they come out of originally the bottom of india uh, yeah, so yep. north of Sri Lanka, bottom of India. Yep. Uh, but the Tamil and Sh- uh, Sinhalese wars have been going on for thousands of years. So that right. that particular, you know, from um, from the south of India, there's been invasions and things like that. But this was the more uh, politically post-independence. Um, right. When, when the British left, they kind of, 
I, I'm, I'm very vague on the details and I'm very hesitant to talk too much details about it because my, again, like I said, I grew up in a perspective where we were just told the one side of the story, you know, it was it's only now that I've come to Australia and I have friends whose parents literally had to flee the, their own home country because of threat of to their lives, you know what I mean? And, you know, the narrative is all of a sudden you're hearing a, a, a completely broader story than what I was told when I was in, you know, a 10 year old or whatever. But, uh, but generally it was a post uh, independence. Some of the policies that were implemented was very much unfavorable to the Tamil population. And so there was some protest and the protest then built and built and built and then became an all out war. Um, so it's fascinating for me to think back at my childhood, like, for example, when my girlfriend at the time back in 2006, so, you know, a while ago, uh, went back to Sri Lanka with me and say, if we're sitting here, Mark, like this, I would say, to that wall, so what is that, like, a, I don't know, a 10 meters away, uh, would be two guys with AK-47s, like, in right in front of my house. But that's where the bomb, um, what do you call, a checkpoint was. So for me, I never thought of how weird is it that every day I stepped out to go to school from the age of, you know, four, whatever, there were two dudes with AK-47s right in front of my house. You know, but that's all your reality is. But it is somewhat re relevant today because we've seen what's going on in, um, in Gaza and mm. um, in... in we think it's shocking. It is shocking, but um, to, probably it's got a little bit further than normal. But generally speaking, prior to what happened recently, it, it is that that's their lifestyle, and to them, it's normal. It's, it's what they've yeah, grown up. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a funny thing to call it normal because on the one hand, it's just like it's it's the only reality I knew. You know, uh, and you know, if you're going to the airport, for example, you allocated one hour at least for. Uh, airport checks like because on the way there there'll be long queues where they you know checking the cars for bombs and things like that that's an extra hour added on to your as it is you know your airport commute you know so those things are bizarre for me to look back on so like for example when people talk about like you know getting annoyed at getting pulled aside at the random checks or yeah, whatever yeah. i'm like ah, this nothing. Is nothing yeah so it, i don't know like I'm not saying that I'm glad I went through those experiences because it has kind of given me an appreciation for what freedom and peace of mind of traveling like would feel like, which is true. I do like in Australia, like, for example, with my Aussie mates, whenever they go on a rant about like, you know, the government is, you know, fucked and this is the worst government and stuff. I'm like, look, you can criticize the government. That's fine. I completely respect that. But to go as far as to say it's the worst or this is corruption and it's, I'm like, you haven't seen anything. <laughs> you know what totally. I mean? so, so for me, in a weird way, I, I have a little bit of gratitude, I guess, for that perspective. Not that I'm glad I went through it as such, but given that I did, it helps me navigate the challenges in a more developed world and a developed system. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, and I'm trying to sort of work out, you know, who you are. In, yeah. In, in, in who Duruk is. I mean, I'll I, tell I, you. And a lot of those are based <laughs> on your experiences because one of the things I noticed, I mean, I have visited uh, Sri Lanka and mm. um, one of the things I one of the things I remember is this, um, and I'm still a pen pal to this now woman. She'd be maybe 40 now, but uh, she, she's married with kids. But one of the things I found out when I was there was that um, if – and this is a cultural thing, but if you have daughters, if you want them to be married, you have to give them a dowry. You have to actually give them some. Mm. You have to give some land away or some some property away. Yeah, this is what I was getting told, and um, 
<clears throat> and if you have all daughters and you've got no money, you're the dad, mm. mum and dad, and you've got, you don't have any assets of your own, it's very difficult to marry your daughter off. Right. And uh, a lot of the girls end up in prostitution, end up in, in or really s- slavish sort of jobs, you know, like they're pretty much cleaners or, you know. When did you go to club? I'm, I'm when... talking about 2002. Maybe, maybe right. even before that, I think it might have been two thousand. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I actually met this young girl and became a pen pal of hers. And yeah, well, she asked me to become a pen pal. You know, ultimately, I ended up sending money and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, because the people of the who were running the place that I was staying at, they were Australians actually, and uh, they told me the story. And um, and I'll never forget it. But she was such a polite, lovely person. Now I'm so glad she ultimately got married and has kids of her mm-hmm. own and all that sort of stuff. She still writes to me. Till every my birthday, her birthday, <laughs> Christmas, our Christmas, you know, she writes it. Just writes a little letter, handwritten, tell me how she's going. Send me some photos of her family, and uh, and it's it's quite nice. I mean, it, but I I got a it's bit of a shock when you see that. I, and yeah. I got a bit of a shock though about this different culture. Which, yeah, you know, growing up in a place like that uh, to experience that is pretty unusual. And when you come here. You're you're in for a shock, right? The shock's here. There is its own kind of level of kind of shock of going. Oh, about. so I uh, similar to that way of thinking. It, it, what happened to me was when I moved to Australia for university. So my dad and is that mom, why you came here to go. To so university? I came here to 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 get a degree in uh, accounting and finance, and I think effectively the plan was to leave after three years and go back and get a job in Sri Lanka. But I fell in love with Melbourne. That's where I've lived most of uh, my Australian life, and. I I I did get distracted though. I got you know I wasn't a drinker back in Sri Lanka, and then all of a sudden here I'm away from my parents for the first time, and just got really stuck. And then it turns out I'm great at drinking. Not just like like I could I was able to finish a pint of beer in four seconds. And you can drink for Australia. Yeah, I, I honestly represented Australia against the USA in these boat races and things no. like that. Yeah, at uni obviously, but it was like it was like representing the country. And uh, I'll never forget. It. I'm actually quite proud of it, even though it's been seven years since I picked up booze because I, I, I it got so bad that I had to quit. All good. But uh, at the time, it was something I'm proud of, which is we were doing these boat races of like six Americans versus three Aussies. And um, I actually didn't even have my citizenship at the time, but I've claimed myself as an Aussie. And we had two pints to their, no, two pots, half pint to their six, you know, individual. But we had finished ours so quickly that still their two were still left that I grabbed both of theirs, drank that as well, and then said, welcome to Australia. <laughs> like, got this huge cheer. And these are these frat boys with their hat turned backwards, like the stereotypical. So I did feel like I was representing Australia in drinking <laughs> at the time. But I, the reason I bring that up is because it's only later on that I felt this huge massive hit of guilt of thinking about the amount of sacrifices my dad had to make in order for me to get to Australia and then for him to be able to pay for rent, for food, for a, the full full fee. He paid the full fee for me, you know? It was because I was such a studious kid back in Sri Lanka. Like, I was the type of kid that if I didn't get 100 for maths, I'd have a cry because I'm like, oh, man, I was so close to 100, you know? Like, that's how much I gave a shit about studying and then I come here and become a pisshead. And so I carry this guilt because I hear like the stories of your friend who is a pen pal, like the, the pen pal friend of yours, you know, these opportunities aren't there for them and, and the system or the, 
the complete coincidence that they were born into a family that did not have a dad like mine meant that she might have to take her life down a path that's less safe, yep. for lack of a better word. Safety was the issue. Yeah. That's what got me, the, the lack of right, safety. Right, the lack of safety, right? And whereas here here I am, someone who, you know, it was not like the money even came easy to dad. Dad couldn't retire until I finished graduating. And yet I had no sense of appreciation for the the cards that were dealt for me and how good those cards were and it's taken a lot of time to kind of process that and alleviate the guilt and, and shame over around it and just go okay yeah you took a scenic route but you've actually come good it's okay don't beat yourself up because it, I, you know i do still like think about man like i remember watching an interview with malala you know and she's talking about how she just wanted to go to school and she got shot in a bus because they were trying to stop the girls from going to school and I'm at my lunch break in my accounting. I used to be an accountant and the accounting office hung over from the night before or whatever, just at my lunch break. And I'm bawling my eyes out at my desk going, this poor girl had to literally dodge bullets to go, you know, get an education, to, to read a book. To do what you did quite easily. To, to do what I just literally pissed away. I would just, you know, I would not really go to the classes. I would, because knock on wood, being someone who's able to study quickly, I was like, ah, I just need to pass. Like, I don't need to nail this because, you know. And so the rest of the time I was partying and, you know, drinking and enjoying my life on campus. And then the last month before the exam, I would buckle down. And one of my worst efforts was um, for the subject corporate law. I went for the first lecture and it was two hours long and it was so dry that I'm like, bugger that, I'm not coming back for this. But because I'm an international student, I can't afford to just uh, be, I have to have a full load. That's part of my visa requirement. I couldn't drop the subject. So I didn't go for a class until the final week, which is week 12. And the week 12, she was like, the lecturer was like, oh, focus on this, focus on that, blah, blah, blah. And the night before the exam, I just downloaded all 24 hours worth of lectures, listened to it in double speed, just making quick notes. Didn't sleep at all that night. It was like nearly 12 hours of just listening to audiobooks. Went to an exam uh, and passed, literally by studying only like the 24 hours before. And to stay up, I had to invent a drink called a Barofi, which is a Barocca and a coffee. It was disgusting, Mark. Like, <laughs> it was horrible. Like you literally have it, you fall to the ground convulsed because of how gross it is, but then you're up for a good four hours. <laughs> I don't recommend it to anyone watching. This is not a healthy way to live. But I did remember feeling like a hero for passing something that, you, you got know. a reward. Well, just I, I, I sh like I did a whole basically I had friends who failed from going to every single class, yet here I was able to hack the system. But the reality is that this is, it was pathetic. It was, I'm, I'm really annoyed at myself now. At the time I thought, oh, look how cool I am. I managed to, you know, do the, do this entire syllabus, uh, this subject in, 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 in 12 hours, you know, and passed. And, you know, I've got the same degree as someone who studied every single day of that semester. But now looking back, I'm embarrassed by it because it's like the the reward is in the effort, not the result. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like for me, the fact that I got given such a great opportunity to to really, you know, excel, and I said fuck that, I'm getting drunk. I'm embarrassed by it. You know what I mean? But did you? But you? But did, did, I mean, that's interesting. You know, did you live a life in Sri Lanka before you come to Australia to go to university? Did you live a life not repressed, but uh, like in terms of was it a, a bit stricter? Highly disciplined, disciplined within your household? Kinda, yeah. Look, we had a very loving, so I have a very confusing background in the sense that my dad's Buddhist, my mom's Muslim. They, dad worked overseas, still married today, but he worked overseas. So we grew up with mom's side of the family who were all Muslim. And we were in this 
big house, 14 of us in the one house, and my brother and I were the only non-Muslims, which is weird in itself because you feel like a minority at home. You were non-Muslim? I was non-Muslim, so yeah. You, so, you, so you were Buddhist? Buddhist, essentially after raised Buddhist after my dad. Yeah, yeah. But because of the, for whatever reason, mom and dad sent me to a Catholic school. Wow. <laughs> so, so I was a minority there as well. So I think those contributed to this idea of I need to prove myself you know, every, every single time there was like my grandma, I adore her. I love her so much mom's mom, but there was definitely a sense of, there was no unconditional love. Like there was this sense of like, um, you know, I felt like an outsider because I wasn't barracking for the same team that they all would. Is that, is that, a, is that a big thing in, in uh, Sri Lanka? The, uh, oh, it was like very controversial for mom to marry someone outside the faith. This is wow. the 1970s. And, and, and was it controversial for your dad to marry someone else? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to kind of elope and stuff like that. Wow. Everyone's fine now. Yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, all gone. But at the time, it was very, very controversial for, um, you know, my dad always did the right thing. He tried to get permission and everything. He never, he always maintained uh, my mom's dignity, essentially. But uh, in the end, it was just like, well, we just have to be low because, you know, they're not giving their blessings kind of thing. But that's another whole story, Mark. Like, But the feeling that I had was because my brother was a super studious guy. He was, you know, five, older. older, five years older, um, you know, even ended up working in hedge funds in Monaco, you know, at the age of 23, he was like, I think he started off entry level and within six months had you know, not six months, maybe about a year, brought in more money into the fund than the actual head of marketing had. So they fired this 50-year-old dude and hired this 24-year-old guy because, and he just absolutely dominated. So I was always, had him, he's my best mate in the world. However, he set the standard so high that even my little crazy chaotic way of doing things was constantly scrutinized. So I think in terms of your question about discipline, it wasn't so much... I guess it is a little bit of like pressure, peer pressure, expectations. but it, expectations, but it was kind of this, it, it, it was just organic, I guess, because I grew up with it, like that idea. So from the age of nine, I would get up at 4.30 in the morning to study because we lived in Colombo on one of the main streets where it was really busy and noisy and there's always traffic till 10 p.m. So there's the window and also in my house, you know, there was all these cousins and stuff who were running around playing who didn't take studies as seriously as we did. So the window that my brother and I had to study was past 10 o'clock or before uh, school starts, you know. So it's weird when I look back as a nine-year-old, the fact that I had that level of discipline or, or drive to 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 study hard that I'll wake up at 4.30. And I even remember asking mom, there was this weird green little rattle, like for babies. I said, because she told, promised me that if I get a certain average that she'll buy me this uh, Sega Game Gear device or whatever, you know, a 90% or something if I get it. And uh, I said, okay, can you wake me up with this green rattle? Because it's such an odd noise that it'll remind me. I'm like, what? what's that noise? I'm like, oh, that's right. I need the Game Gear. Like I made an association with the rattle and the Game Gear at the age of nine. Like I honestly don't know where I even got that idea. But now looking back with all these habit forming books that I've been reading, I'm like, oh my God, I was nailing it back as a nine-year-old. So she would rattle the thing and I would go, oh, that is not a sign to study that is a sign to get the game gear. So yeah. then it was, I'd drawn the link between my effort now and the reward later. So I was always that had that discipline. Uh, and in terms of drinking and things like that, it's but not that said, much. Because I was trying to work out, is that like some sort of either rebellion or, or a, um, a celebration of no longer having that I think it was hanging out of you? Yeah, I don't know exactly, but it was a rebellion as much as it was, 
just an alternative that I did not know was there for me, you yeah. know, because I never considered myself a party guy. I didn't know. I uh, My friends used to, like, go out and try and meet girls and all those kinds of things, but I was never the party guy. I was always debating club, drama club, you know, like crying after maths exams. And no, 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 no. This is Sri Lanka. Sorry, yeah. this is all Sri Lanka. I then come to Australia where I have no friends, don't know anybody, and desperate to fit in. And turns out that being able to scull a pint in four seconds was re- like was was something that made like I had gone from a week of no one knowing who the fuck I was at all to a week later I'd be at a pub in Armadale in Victoria and some random goes hey are you the Sri Lankan guy that can scull pints can you scull my jug and show my friends and like like a circus act I was like sculling beers in front of everyone and they'd all cheer so you can imagine a nineteen year old who's trying to like feel at home somewhere new in a new country that is you know is you know, big and dominating as Australia can feel, especially to to a fan of cricket, you know. Because I tell you where I'm going with all this is because um, it's interesting you, you you talked about the little rattle thing um, mm. uh, um, and you would associate reward with that, with that sound. Yeah. You weren't associating the fact that I had to get up and do some study. No. You were associating with reward. Yeah. Um, then you go on to say later on when you come to Australia – your four-second pint yeah. um, was associated with reward because people recognise you and they accepted yeah. you, which is yes. that's the reward. That's, yes. a, that's an important mental reward. Yeah, like, like a tribal thing. I'm yeah. allowed. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome in, in the tribe I'm in, and I'm, I'm safe. In, I'm in. You're correct. And then, you know, it's well documented that you know you had a, a weight problem. Yes, well documented. But food is one of those things that attaches to your reward centre as well. Massively, big time. Um, big. Like you, know, you, you get, you know, your your brain pushes all sorts of great chemistry out into your into your system and then you get and these reward centers like pinging because you're eating sweet stuff or you're eating lots of stuff or whatever the case may be in which case and the, the but the outcome of that is you put weight on um, it's not a positive reward system but it's nonetheless a reward system do you think you've been chasing reward systems all your life yeah for sure being a comedian is by the way is a reward as well oh 100% you laugh at my jokes Thank you very much. I'll give you I'll give you the origin story of both of those. They, they, there's a direct link between a lot of what happened as a child to who I am today. So, for example, the food. Let's take that. That, in spite of all the therapy and every sort of talk therapy, kinesiology, all kinds of things that I'm working through, it's still the one that I still don't have my hands on the steering wheel on completely. Like booze-wise, seven years sober, no dramas. Well, what, what, what made you stop booze? What, tell me about that. Booze? Oh, just an event. Grow? No, it was a series of just looking over the, like, it, it went from, I'll, I'll, I'll come to booze. We'll go okay. step by step. Yep. So, so, so I'll put the booze thing first of all, which is that it was larrikin, quote unquote, uh, larrikin behavior that was cute and funny as a 20 year old that I never outgrew. Yep. And then all of a sudden I'm 32 years old and still trying to find like, oh, how hilarious I passed out and yeah. got chucked in a divvy van. Like that was kind of funny when I was an international student back in, you know, going, oh, and Sri Lankan in a divvy van and all like, you're a full Aussie now, mate. And those types of things. Or even when getting my citizenship, even the immigration lawyer was like, oh, shows that you've assimilated. Great stuff. You know, like all this kind of fun. And suddenly I'm 32 years old and I'm still doing that shit and no one's laughing anymore. It's just a liability. And it just became gross. And I was embarrassed at the guy I was becoming because it was just a little, ah, oh, it's like, boy, you know, a, a kid from Sri Lanka, he's, you know, just learning the ropes a bit, let him go a bit loose. That went for 12 years. 
that's where it, 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 it was a rock bottom that just kept getting deeper and deeper until finally I was like, fuck it, I have to do something here because otherwise I know how this is going to end and it's not pretty, you know? Um, in terms of the overeating though, that's the one that I still struggle with because unlike booze where I went cold turkey, just cut it all off. It was easy to go zero. With food, there's, I, always, I jokingly say that it's, even a salad is like a gateway drug because you start off well with the salad and then you move on to Caesar salad with croutons and then you're like, ah, what's the difference between croutons and a, and a hamburger? <laughs> you know, you just, before you know it, you're full knee deep in kebabs again, right? But that comes from grandma who was a massive, like she used to have a catering company. She loved her cooking and she was proud of how demand her food was. So when I ate her food, that was her reward system going, oh, look, her sense of pride came from seeing how much I enjoyed the food. So she sees that and rewards me with love and affection that I felt like I was missing out on because of the religious difference. So she's putting her hand on my back saying, what a good boy. Well done for eating so much. Yeah, thanks for and, making me feel good. Right. And whereas as a child, I'm thinking, oh, if I'm getting protection from the matriarch, if I want protection from the matriarch and her love, I have to eat a lot. So even now, 38 years uh, later, you know, when in spite of having a heart attack and all kinds of stuff, I'm still like, oh, I feel sad and alone, so I need to overeat. That way I'll feel better. And it's such a cycle that I go through because once I overeat, there's a shame. The shame then just starts yelling at me going, you should be, you know, how disgusting of you to eat so much. And then you feel sad again. And so you go back into eating gelato. And so for me, I realized to hijack the system, this is genuinely, my, why does my phone go? Like my, my wallpaper on my phone is a photo of me as a kid because to remind myself when I do have that shame spiral, that when I'm yelling at myself, it is this four-year-old version of me playing Lego or three years old playing Lego that's getting yelled at. So to be kind to that version of myself, I literally have to carry a photo of myself as a baby to be kind because that's the direct link between my overeating and, and the childhood pain, I guess, or the wound. With the comedy, it comes back to dad, which is dad was working overseas whenever he was in town. He used to be the center of attention among his groups of friends. You know, everyone's like hanging off his every word as he was telling joke after joke. And I wanted obviously break into the circle and he would let me into the circle whenever I had a joke to tell or something like that. And my brother, who I mentioned before, be my best mate, whenever I made him laugh, he would go to mom's handbag and give me 10 rupees. And if it was a really good joke, he'd give me 20. So again, all this was like happening when I was five, six years old. Rewards. Uh. Rewards again, right? So comedy to me has been this thing, which again, I would say I've been able to take essentially an annoying party trait, which is trying to be the center of attention, trying to get everyone to like him and be funny and not give anyone else this, you know, the platform. That is an insecurity that would have been annoying and was going unchecked in my accounting years. But now that I've got an outlet, I'm actually much more like pleasant to be around because I feel that void of whatever, you know, uh, reward that I get from performing, it happens on a nightly basis so that when I'm in real life, I can switch off and actually be interested in someone else rather than trying to sell my own self. And that's so, it, it seems to me that um, all, th it happens to all of us, but all throughout, throughout our lives, we, we get rewarded by family, friends, mm. um, also intellectually ourselves, we get rewarded, we, f we feel good about things. And it actually does drive a lot of behavior in in the future. Why do you think? Did your family ever reward you for how well you did at school? For example, like your yeah. mum, you said one example that your mum was going to get you a PlayStation, or whatever uh -huh. it was, um, um, uh, for if you got over ninety or something like that. How how do how is it you don't think that achievements 
didn't trump all these other things like being a comedian or, you know, I mean, academic achievements and or just achievements in business, for example, or, or mm. some, and to drive you in a different direction. It's similar to say to what your brother did. Yeah, I, I guess, well, two things. Firstly, I should, to finish off on the thing about mum, is that she, I didn't get the 90%. Um, you but did I, not. I did not get it, but she still, um, I remember even a computer was the, the, the other reward down the track. But her rule was, regardless of the result, if I apply myself, she will buy me the ah. computer. So it created this mindset for me that the reward was linked to effort, not result. So as long as you put the work in, which we know doesn't guarantee success, but not putting the work in guarantees failure. It's definitely necessary. It's necessary. Might regardless not be sufficient, it, but it's Might necessary. not be sufficient, but you can't have it without it. So she kind of, again, not knowingly gave me this growth mindset, which is that as long as you work hard, forget what happens on exam day, forget what happens in the report. But if in the lead up you put the work in, I will reward that. So for me, that... Then you fast forward to when I started doing comedy, I was so bad at it. Like my hands would shake, I would sweat and like, you know, I just feel like throwing up like constantly before going up. Like I had a fear of public speaking. But because of the way mom kind of raised me, I remember loving the process of going, oh, thinking of an idea, writing it down, refining it, then rehearsing it. And like the joy was in the work as opposed to doing the gig and then it turns out it's shit and then I'm sad. I was like, well, it doesn't matter if it goes well or not. I've enjoyed my little process along the way, you know, and I'd never done anything that I'd enjoyed the process of as much as I did with comedy, you know? So mum's that weird lesson, weirdly enough, so that lesson weirdly enough created a really healthy mindset for me in terms of uh, rewards. Now with studying, so I think it was just this thing of we recognized that uh, my brother and I, this is, that 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 is part of our identity. We were the poster boys for, um, you know, stu being studious and how you know, all our cousins would hate us. Not even actually hate us, yeah, yeah. but their moms would be like, can't you be more like Dilshan and Dilruk? Look at the, you know, they always get money at uh, the prize givings and stuff like that. And we were the benchmark for all of them. And then you fast forward, you know, 20 years after we've graduated, I am a comedian. Oh, so I used to be an accountant and my brother was in a, a hedge fund manager. Uh, now I'm a comedian and he runs a blog, <laughs> you know? So all the aunties are like, no, 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 don't do what they did. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, but that was the point is that we kind of gave the corporate world a red hot go relatively successfully, and especially my brother, more so than me, he was dominating, but just realized there was more to his purpose of what he wanted to do that wasn't getting the attention in this world, you know? And that's the same thing with me. Like I was a good accountant, uh, not so much when I worked at KPMG. By that point, I'd kind of chucked the towel in. But before that, I was someone who could apply myself and get anything done. And I just kind of went, why? And I remember struggling at KPMG and someone saying, oh, you know, it's hard now, but you work up the ladder and then you get to the top, you'll be much better. Become a partner. Become a partner and all of that stuff. And I remember reading Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there was a line in that that said, there's no point there's no point climbing up a ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall. And I remember that hitting me like a ton of bricks going, everyone's telling me to keep working hard to get to the top. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get to that top. Why am I struggling now to do something I don't actually want to escalate, you know? So whereas with comedy, even though I was absolutely shit, I was a ladder that I was happy being on. What, what, what made you think about comedy though? Like, uh, why did you think um, I'm going to change my career? from being an accountant mm. 
and competent yeah. at that um, to becoming a comedian as a career? Uh, I would say that's probably Hamish Nandy and Will Anderson's fault. <laughs> so I used to listen to a lot of Hamish Nandy. I mean, pretty much every day of their podcast, uh, the radio show, I'd listen to it live. And then the next morning, while I was at the accounting firm, listened to the podcast uh, of this show. And um, yeah, and I remember thinking going, oh, these boys met at, you know, Melbourne Uni, the same uni I went to. And they're now, they literally see the same degree that I did. And now they're, you know, getting paid to have fun. And I was like, why not me? And um, and I remember seeing Will Anderson stand up and he was the first time I saw uh, a style of comedy that was very similar to how I'm funny with my friends because I didn't do characters, I didn't do impersonations or anything like that, you know, whereas he was, and the people I'd seen before that were like Eddie Murphy and, you know, people who do character-based kind of comedy. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do it like just tell a funny story or tell a funny observation. So I think that's kind of where I got that idea. I mean, I always adored the idea of stand-up comedy, just looked like a an incredibly cool job to do. It's pretty scary though. Terrifying. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, absolutely terrifying really for me. I'm like, I'm comfortable now, but I'm not kidding when I said my. There's video footage of my my hands shaking and my leg doing like an Elvis shivering thing. You know what I mean? So, but again, it all circles back to to reward, right? And reward and punishment. So for me, the reward. Uh, it, 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 it took me a whole year, actually. I should point out before I actually from getting fired from my accounting job to doing stand up. Um, I knew I wanted to do stand-up, but it took a whole year because of that fear of failure. I felt like I'd failed in accounting, and now if I go into comedy and find out I'm shit, that's another dream that I have to say is not for me, you know? So I was too scared to try and fail, but then the fear of failure wasn't as bad as fear of never trying ever at all. So it was easier to choose that. Uh, I always say things are like, it's either reward is... For me, the reward is either pleasure seeking or pain avoiding. And the pain of never trying was worse than the pain of being shit at comedy. So, and, and, and did you did you call your parents and say, I've given the accounting, or I've, been, yeah. I've been cut from the accounting uh, company, I'm going to become a comedian, stand up? Yeah, that was an interesting situation because when I first told my mom and dad, they were like, oh, great, especially dad. He was like, oh, you, you've always been really funny. You're going to be awesome at this and stuff like that. Yeah, well done. And I was like, oh, cool. I got it, you know. And then I think about four or five months into it, he was like, hey, so how's it going with the accounting job hunting? Because I'd done a few other interviews for Deloitte and things like that. I was like, oh, no, remember that chat we had about comedy? He's like, oh, yeah, but that's like a hobby, yeah? I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm all in. And so he was a bit confused because I have come to realize that my parents especially, but most parents, I would say, just want to know you're going to be okay once they're gone, you know? Yeah. And it was hard for him to understand how you can have this accounting degree from Melbourne Uni and not use it for so security and stability. Especially when you paid for it. <laughs> especially when you paid for it. I know. <laughs> he knows how much went Worked into it. Off. Yeah, Worked his absolute ass off. And this guy's like, no, I'm going to go tell dick jokes to strangers for a living. That's my calling. Um, so I understand his concern, but God bless him in his defense. The next day he kind of, he was uncomfortable obviously, but the next day onwards, he just kind of was very supportive, always checking on me going, hey, how was last night's gig? And how, how'd you go? He is the most, for someone who should be mad at me not using his, you know, hardworking resources efficiently, he's so supportive. Like even my stand-up special, 
that's on Amazon Prime. He's watched it 24 times. <laughs> and every single time at the end, he cries. Just, oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I jokingly say it's because he's like, oh, fuck, I can't believe I wasted all this money on accounting when, you know, he's wasted it on this shit. But no, he cries because he's just so proud. He genuinely gets a real kick out of it. I think he he's like me. He's a creative. He's a performer. He loves, like, singing karaoke and being the center of attention just like me. So he's kind of happy to see, you know. Uh, and he cries, like, all the time. Even a couple of days ago, I did this fundraiser for the Heart Foundation in Jura, and there was an MP who ended up talking about my show in parliament. So now I'm officially in Hansard and I sent it to dad and he cried <laughs> straight away. Cause it's like for him, for us growing up in Sri Lanka, Australia is a big, scary country, like the dominant cricket team, the MCG, all these big, big, you know, colossal feelings. And for him, I'm just his idiot second child, you know? So the fact that now my name is in parliament, like, it's, I know it's nothing for us, you know, we know in the no, grand scheme of it's a big deal. For us, it's like, yeah. And and even like, I'll tell you a cute moment. There was a video I'd done, uh, interview I'd done on, project, on the project that went like viral on WhatsApp, you know, like just randomly people just kept sharing it. And my dad got it a few times from like old classmates of his and, you know, them saying, hey, there's a, there's a Sri Lankan guy in Australia. He's really funny. Check him out. And so for dad to be able to say, oh, actually, that's my son, you know, he loves that stuff. He's really chuffed about it. So uh, I've always kind of been grateful that he could have easily been gone, like embarrassed about the fact that, you know, he spent all this money on me and I've gone down this path. But no, he's been unbelievably supportive. How long did it take you before you realized you were good at it? Oh, Shit, what a good question. <laughs> because I feel like if I answer wrong, it sounds arrogant. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, to say I was good at it, huh? A while, because... As in like a year at it or... Oh, no, 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 no. So for when I say good, my what I define as good changes across time. It evolves. So the first good was, can I be consistently funny for five minutes? In other words, people clap or laugh. So I had no laughs for the first year. <laughs> wow. Well, I must have had some chuckles and titters. But I think because I was a fan of stand-up first, uh, I'm, I jokingly say I'm basically a fanboy who, like, duped his way into the other side of the stage. You know what I mean? Because I used to pay, like, five, six hundred bucks of money I didn't have to watch comedy shows during the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And now, like, you know, I'm part of it. Um I would say it took about three years before I had like a, a bit that was working like every single time I like, did it. Like and or gigs, like being booked as well. Yeah, look, again. I, is that a measure of success or, or is it yeah, more about how you, on a particular day or evening, the response? I mean, how do you measure success? Right. So comedy is the only place I have naturally done things that then since then reading self-help books about self-development that matches up. Like the things I did naturally for comedy seem to be backed up by all these different, whether it's David Goggins or Tim Grover or any of these people. It's like, oh, that's what I did, which was I forgot about, I didn't care about being the best, uh, better than anyone else. It was about how can I be better tomorrow than I was. Like my goal every single time was to walk out of a comedy gig a better comedian than I was when I walked in. So even if I bombed, the there was still a victory there, which is I learned a way not to do it. But that's a way of thinking. That's right, but I didn't know that. It's uh, a mindset thing. It was for me, it was because comedy looked impossible uh, and the fact that I was even trying for me was the win because it looked like something completely out of my reach, something that, you know, is, is not for me, just watch from afar. So the fact that I was able to even get up, from the, the basic framework for me that helps me is that 
I was really grateful that even if I wasn't good, I got to do it. It wasn't that I had to do it. I get to do comedy. And that was the the joy that kept me going. So every single time in terms of the success that you talk about, it changes because initially it was like, can I get five minutes that works? Then it was like, once I got that, can I get a second five minutes that works? Then once I got that, then he's like, can I put these two together and have 10 minutes and then 20 and then so on. But like, then it became about, can I become a full-time comedian? Can I live off this? And so I achieved that in the middle of 2016. And I've kind of like, it sounds so arrogant, but I swear to God, I, I mentally have peaked in November 2017 and everything since then is bonus. And why November 2017? Because that's when mom and dad saw me perform as a headliner at my local comedy club in wow. Melbourne. So there's a photo of me and the two of them and they look so proud. And I realized, oh, that's what I've been chasing. Just them seeing, because I this is really morbid, but I knew that I was going to do this for the rest of my life, but I was so bad at it that I didn't, I, in my head, I genuinely thought, oh, it's a, such a shame. I'm bad at this because mom and dad won't be around to see me come good because I just knew I'm going to keep doing it, but I probably won't come good for another 20 years. Um, and they might not be around to see it. And so the fact that they did see it about seven years after I started was like this biggest victory for me. And for since then, I kind of just think of the, my career as the victory lap now. And everything's so, just a cream. Everything is a cream for me now. Pardon I mean, I, mean I still work. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I still work harder than I ever did, but it's not from a place of lack. It's from a place of abundance almost going like, oh, you know, I've had a great run. And if it all ends today, I'll be very sad. I'm not going to lie, but I know I enjoyed the fuck out of it every step, step of the way because I keep making sure I reward myself for the mini victories along the the big part. So when people say, you know, what's your goals and stuff like that, I'm like, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I kind of have achieved them, you know, because all I wanted to do was be able to say I pay rent by telling dick jokes. You know, yeah, That's very interesting. It sounds to me like you, I mean, you talk about Goggins and all those mm. other self-help people. But it seems to me like you mastered mindset really easy, early and easily. I mean, the mindset of like banking the little wins all the time, yeah. making very transactional, you know, like I'm going to do better tomorrow, I'm going to do tomorrow, what do I learn from today? Uh -huh. How can I get better and better? Um, where the hell would you work that shit out? Like, did you read books on mindset? Like how, how would I set myself to do well over I think, time? I think my brother probably helped me a lot because he did a lot more self-help and self-development reading back then than I did, but he would feel like, you know, throw these little gems towards me. It's only in the last, say, 10 years that I've taken a more active approach to learning those things. But prior to that, I think it's my brother's influence for sure. Like, even though the, his very existence and his high performance, high achievements is the cause of a lot of conversations on therapy right now because I was constantly compared to him. Like, it's not his fault, though, that he was a good student. It's not his fault that he was always um, very clean and disciplined and very, like, studious. So I'll give you a good example that mom always reminds me of, which is that um, when I was in year one, one of my classmates' moms called him, uh, called her and said, oh, my God, the homework they're giving these kids are too hard. I have to sit with my son, you know, for hours before, you know, and do the homework. How's Dilruk handling it? And mom's like, oh, he doesn't talk about homework. Homework. I don't, he's probably not doing it because he's never at his table. He doesn't do any homework. So then she pulled me aside and she goes, Hey, what's this homework that you're getting? I'm like, Oh, yeah. And she's like, When do you do it? I'm like, Oh, in the back of the car when you're driving to school. So I would just do it on the way to school. 
And then she called her friend, my classmate's mom, and was like, can you believe this boy is how shameful he's doing it at the back of the class, you know, the last minute he's just cramming it through. And that lady was like, what are you talking about? He's doing it on his own? Like, that's amazing. Like, I have to sit with my son for two hours. So mom was constantly like not seeing the result, as in the fact that I would still get the good result just because I was doing it in this really haphazard, chaotic way. It Because my brother did it in a more disciplined way, she would always be like, why can't you be more like him? Why can't you be more like him? So I constantly had this weird shadow to try and live up to. But that very shadow is someone who supported me like unconditionally and my brother like to date is my biggest confidant and my biggest supporter so it's funny to have someone who whose very existence made things harder for me but he also made sure that he supported me and pulled me up with him every step of the way you know so in terms of this thing of discipline and, and, mindset. and mindset i think it's just we were yeah we just really enjoyed kicking goals and then and I also think my brother and I joke like we're very egotistical but egotistical I like to think in a healthy way where it's like if we're not good at something it's an attack on our ego so we have to like smash it and prove to people going no no fuck like I deserve to be here you know and I think that competitive side why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is something that if it goes unchecked, you just keep trying to fight with everyone and try to be better at things that you don't even give a shit about. But because we've worked on making sure, hey, there's a side of us that's a bit a bit darker, not darker necessarily, but going like, I'm not just going to win, I'm going to fucking humiliate the competition. I was like, all right, I need to use it once in a while. It's like, I can't, like 80-20 it almost, you know, do it 80% of the time, be fueled by love and happiness, but 20% just going, yeah, fuck crush you. It. Yeah, well, that happened to me in the marathon. So I was ready to give up at the 35 kilometer mark. My leg was just dangling off, like it felt like my left leg was not even working. And I was like, fuck it, that'll do. That's, you know, I can't do another seven kilometers on this bro broken leg or what felt like a broken leg and immediately thought of the three dudes that would be happy that I didn't finish like quote unquote mates of mine who you know would be would enjoy your downfall and I was so annoyed that they get that win that my 36 kilometer was the fastest lap I'd run <laughs> I was like I just went fuck you guys and I just kind of belted it out so for me I'm very fascinated with how the mind like at the 35 kilometer mark I had nothing left in the tank but the 36 kilometer mark was the fastest I ran. How can that be possible? Because it's clearly something that sh something shifted there. So I'm obsessed with that. There's a Finnish phrase called Sisu, S-I-S-U, which means that little boost of drive you get just before you're about to quit, you know? And 
I'm like, how do I keep tapping? That's now I'm fascinated that knowing that that's in me because I never did sport as a kid. I didn't know that I had this competitive side. So, so given you what you 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 you, mentioned, you raised Goggins and uh, uh, yeah. and you've raised Tim Grover and you've you've also raised this mindset process and you obviously you've used it to be successful by most measurements, performance measurement, in ter- particular in terms of comedy. Let's just talk to the dark side for a second. Yeah. You've had a weight problem for a long time. Mm. How is it you can't use, because Goggins had a weight problem, yeah. how is it you can't use all that, those, all those, all those things techniques I've learned. to take control of that? I've thought about this a lot because it's, I have the blueprint, I have the map for a healthy development, which just automatically came to me in comedy. I've been able to apply that to alcohol. I've been able to apply yep. that to to uh, exercise. Yep. Um, but food is this massive blind spot of mine. Why? I think it's because the issues or the um, challenges around that were formulated. The crucible was when I was a kid. So it's going back to your grandmother. Back to my grandma. So I think the the wiring or the the the, the ground the, the cable laying of how I think yeah, yeah, around neurologically. food neurologically it's so embedded in 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 such a formative year and then being reinforced for a lot longer than say my habits around alcohol or my habits around laziness you know so or or, being, or, or, or indeed. Um, Trying to be the one guy who's going to impress all his mates by being able to drink a, a pint in four seconds. Yeah, yeah. All of that came like later. There's, it's the same wound, which is wanting to feel seen and feel accepted into a into a tribe yep. or a family. Yep. So with grandma, it was like feeling like, oh, I don't have the same religious beliefs, so therefore I have to work for her affection. Come to Australia, oh, I don't look like everybody else, so I have to be the, you know, the brown larrikin. Oh, what a f- random identity. Let's, yeah, and so all of a sudden become big man on campus because, oh, look at this Sri Lankan guy who's a pisshead. We've never seen that before. They want a dichotomy, you know? All those things which which is just so sad because it was a big confusion between wanting to fit in versus belong because I've been constantly trying to fit in when all I wanted was just to be accepted for who I am and realizing that the friends that I have now 20 years later from that uni experience they didn't care about the drinking they were just good people who wanted you know the best for me that's why we were still friends even though we quit drinking seven years ago and they still drink you know but it just I had miscommunicated to myself that if you want friends, you have to be the party boy. Or if you need affection from girls, you need to be in front of like the lecture and, you know, making all these jokes and stuff like that. It's like, no, 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 people like you just for who you are. You don't have to work so hard. So the food is something that those bad, let's call it unhealthy habits of overeating. So for example, when I describe as unhealthy, it's not about eating junk food or anything like that. It's for me, I can eat to the point where I'm uncomfortable. Too much food. Way too much, to the point where I'm in pain and I'm still going. And I and it's very frustrating because ignorance is bliss and I'm not ignorant. I can see it happen. I know I'm taking the wrong decision, but it's like, it's really frustrating to bear witness to it because I'd like to think I'm better than that. But then seeing this, someone else or something else take control of the steering wheel. Like, I'm not even kidding. I have had... Not it's been a while, maybe about a couple of years, but you know, two three years ago, I would say in the sort of 
just after the pandemic in one of those little pockets, I've walked in and out of a 7-Eleven four times going to get ice cream, going, no, no, I don't need it. Get out. And I'll go back in like, no, just have an ice cream. It's no big deal. Like just like a junkie walking in and out of, because it's like midnight and my body's like, my brain is like, I'm scared. I'm alone. I need a hug. You know, I'm feeling like depressed or whatever. It's like, yeah, go get some ice cream. That'll make you feel better. So it's like I walk in thinking, oh, I've got my reward the ice cream but then the the conscious mind is like no dude you know this is not going to make you happy you know it's only going to be a little bit of satisfaction and then you're going to hate it so then i walk out and then i'm like but who cares you had a heart attack you're going to die anyway you might as well have the ice cream and then i walk back in or like you know what i mean like it just it's this constant wrestle and it more than anything else i'm first step is for me is i'm trying to not shame myself for even having a flawed you know handbrake on those things so the problem I'm having now is when I give in to those temptations, I just bash myself. In, it, what, in what regard? Like guilt? Guilt, shame. And that makes you go and eat more. Makes you want to eat more. So my first step right now is going, okay, let's chunk it. The same way I was looking at going, how do I stop? How do I get better at five minutes of comedy instead of worrying about an hour? Let's just focus on that. So right now my focus is how do I be kind to myself when I, give in, to, when I give in to it, when I give in to the temptation, don't worry about the fact that I gave in. Now we just do is like, how do I accept that just because I gave in doesn't mean that I am not worthy of love, respect, acceptance, you know, all those things that from myself, by the way, because this is nothing to do with other people. This is all self-inflicted shame, self-inflicted uh, uh, disappointment. But is it, shame, is it shame because you're overweight or is it shame that you um, lack the discipline to stop yourself from getting upset? The second part, the discipline, because yeah. I like to hold myself in... Uh, there's there's a pride in saying that I'm someone who's, you know, I, I look at the things that I've touched would been able to achieve and those aren't things that were within my grasp, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, being a full-time comedian, running a marathon, uh, losing weight, quitting drinking. Like these are genuinely huge milestones for me. And I fucking like so proud of that. And then you have this same person who is... Even last night, you know, finished a gig and I had a, I've, been, I've had an exercise streak of 64 days and I'm starting to feel stronger and my feeling like, the you know, feeling really together. But lost the battle last night. There was a easy mart and I grabbed a box of cereal and milk and fucking had cereal at 11 o'clock at night. I don't need it. But just my brain was like, no, I'm in Sydney. I'm alone. And, you know, I didn't match with anyone on Tinder. All right, I'll just eat my feelings in a cereal. <laughs> I want to ask you. I want to ask you this, um, So, sometimes, do you feel that maybe it's just not the right time to become disciplined in respect of your food? Because if you're trying to be successful, you've you know, you're a kid, come from another country, you went and got a university degree, um, you became a citizen, you had to fit in, you decided to give up the drink, you then uh, decided to run another career. Mm. Yeah, pretty scary career. So they're all massive achievements, as you said earlier. You can't achieve everything all at once. Yeah, I. Or am I just making excuses for you? No, 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 no. You're right. Because there's too much. I know, but there's. Don't don't you feel like sometimes you know the truth? And if a, so, example, if if my if I had a friend or my brother, let's say my brother, my best friend in the world, came to me with all the things that I'm sharing with you, the words I say to him. I believe about go easy on yourself. You've done enough. You can take it. Don't worry. It's too much. You know, just take it step by step. All of that is true. But for some reason, 
I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to me though, because I'm I'm better than that. I can I can I can do it all, you know, and I can't. And no, can, no one can. No one can. But there's this some weird threat to my identity as quote unquote high achiever or whatever that I'm like, oh fuck, I'll do it. You know, most people can't, but I, I can. You know, and because of that mentality, there have been great things that have come into my life because I believe that I was better than a particular situation. Um, so let's say boozing, right? It felt like I cannot quit drinking. I love it too much. My identity is wrapped up in it. That's, how who the fuck, how, that's who I am. And then seven years later, I'm like, oh, I can't believe like what a, I feel so much happier for doing it. I'm so grateful. Similarly with, with food, I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, a lot of people struggle with food, but not me. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be fine. And I realized, no, dude, that's where you're going wrong is because it's like, it's my ego going unchecked again. So when it was in check, oh, sorry, the, 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 the threat to my ego is what pushed me out of accounting into comedy, going like, I'm not going to be a fucking accountant. I'm going to do something better or something a bit more glamorous or whatever the fuck you want to call it, right? So that is the same ego mindset that pushed me out of a very cushy job, a very healthy, stable uh, employment, right? You'd be a partner by now. Oh, close enough. I, yeah, yeah, for sure. I look at the my peer group that, you know, if had I applied myself, I didn't. But had I applied myself, yeah, absolutely, sure. Um, but what I mean more is that it was this thing of, oh, like a God complex. Let's put it that way. Thinking like, yeah, this is what most people will be satisfied with, but not me. I'm going to do something a bit, you know, a bit niche. That very God complex and holding myself to that standard is what's causing the most amount of distress, as opposed to accepting that I, hey, when it comes to food, you don't have a good, um, you don't have good discipline. That's okay. So stop making excuses for it and try to find systems that work around it. So for example, at home, I have a like a cabinet with scotch and wine and you know, a couple of beers and a lot of my favorite stuff, no dramas. But I cannot keep ice cream in my freezer because I will find it at 3 a.m. in the morning. So, so the deal though is then is is completely you deny yourself it. In other words, don't put it in your freezer. Yeah, because I would like to think of someone and being like, oh no no, deal, you're better than that. You can you can you know resist temptation. And I'm like, but I can't. Like, why am I denying? Like, because it's cooler to say that. Oh yeah, I used to be obese, but now I don't. Yeah, it's a problem. I've put the lid on. I'm fine. It's no, I constantly yo-yo, and I think it's because. The lack, my a food you have to eat some. That's the problem yep. for me. Is that you always need nutrition, right? But that healthy amount of nutrition is so close to my biggest indulgence, which is overeating to the point of pain. You know, so it's like I'm always um, treading a fine line. So with alcohol, let's you if, if you think of it as a monster, right? Uh, I think there's a Godzilla movie that kind of resembles this concept, which is that you have to let it go, cause a bit of destruction, and then it can go back and settle for another few days or whatever. So with booze, I was able to trap it, crush it, and starve it of oxygen to the point where it's dead. And I don't genuinely, like I still miss alcohol here and there, but it's not an issue. I can sit around you and people drinking and I'm completely fine. But food is always something that you're constantly tasting or, you know, I'm very close to my addiction in that one, you know? Well, again, if I asked you this question, I mean, and, and, and I think and you're only 38, so maybe it's not really a question for you at this stage of your life, but you did have a heart attack. Yeah. If I said to you, how old do you want to be when you die? Hmm. Do you want to do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? I mean, how long do you think you need to live 
in order to achieve some some I've, other things. Right. So I've kind of mapped out towards 80. Okay, so 4,000 weeks and you've, you're about no. halfway. So for me, in, to the extent where I actually might be getting, I'm trying to see if I can order one of those, you know, those death calendars which show you yep. how much you have like left for your, uh, in terms of weeks. Yeah, there's a, there's a book written, it's called 4,000 4, Weeks. It's a book oh, is that? Very nice books. Right, yeah, right. So, I didn't know so that. you, that's assuming you can live to the statistical 81, yeah. okay? Yeah. So you're nearly halfway, okay? Yeah. So you've got, let's say you've got 2,000 weeks left. Yeah. Um, it's terrifying. It's not many. No, so, it's not many at so, all, and especially because you see how quickly it just keeps, you know, we're getting closer now. Because so what heart. are you going to do in those 2,000 weeks? So, so what do right. you, what does Duroc want to achieve? Yeah. You want to become a comedian, you did that, okay? I, I, you want to come to Australia, you did that. You want to get a degree, you did that. Right. You want to be, be accepted, you did that, okay? You did all that. But if I said to you, you got 2,000 weeks, mate, what do you want to achieve in the next 2,000 weeks? Abs and threesomes. No, I, <laughs> that's genuinely, that's the last thing I want to do. No, um, definitely, look. I might not actually open up about the things I do want to achieve necessarily, but okay, let's say, okay, abs. It was a joke answer, but it kind of is true. It's something that I know is so hard to achieve, at like having visible abs. Well, if you lose weight, you get abs. I know, but it's still like, I, I, like I have friends in, who are- Did you have abs in that photo? Uh, which one? In there, as, as, a little kid. As, as as a you, child? you might not even be in the photo, but when you right. were that little kid, that little skinny little kid. Yeah. Yeah, watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, of you course. You probably had abs. You probably had I probably abs. had abs back then. Yeah. You were saying, yeah, 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 okay. Okay, I see what you're trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 2020, when the lockdowns were happening, I had nothing else to do. I got like, I lost another 30 kilos. So a total of 50 kilos. Wow. And I was down to like almost very little body fat. But it, because I used to be obese, the, 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 the loose skin yep. was kind of around and I couldn't fully get the six pack, but I could see the first two. So I was like getting two so- back. Two back. Yeah, exactly. I was getting so close, right? Now- why did I bring this up? Oh yeah, the I know that abs actually mean nothing, right? Like as in, yep. it's not functional necessarily. It, it's not like you're better off having stronger quads, better lower back, all those things, right? But I have a wiring that has told me, oh my God, if you have abs, then you are in this 0.0% of the world or whatever. And for whatever reason, ego, what do you want to call it? I want to be part of that club. It's why I did a marathon because I know only 1% of the people in the world can do it. I like doing things that majority of the world would say too hard, you know? So to me, that is a goal that's fascinating because I don't have a strong enough why to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I say to myself, oh, yeah, I want abs, but I'm like, but why? We might be able to get them in, in 10 years' time. Yeah, anyway. because it's, it's, no rush. it's, but, but it's bullshit. It's all bullshit because there's no reason for me to do it. I've just told myself, convinced myself that that's important to have. But it's fucking not, and I know it. So it's this weird thing that I'm caught in between where I'm sad that I don't have it, but I also realize I don't really actually want it. I just want it to... to to feel part of a club that I don't belong to or whatever. You know, again, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not about belonging. It's not like saying, hey, I want good abs because that will help me, you know, longevity. And and when I'm 80, be able to pick myself up if I fall down. Like, those are the reasons I should be working but towards. But at this stage, you won't even make 80. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I've been no, you're spot on. This is why I'm saying you that the system, make it. the system's flawed because no, your I'm focused. System is flawed. That's what I'm saying. Your I'm, thinking my, system, my but thinking, you've got such a good mindset. For everything else except for food and yeah, exercise. Yeah, but think about it. Like, you're a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, I, by the way, 
if you didn't want to lose weight and you'd want to be this dude, yeah, yeah, that's I, I'd different. accept that too. Correct, but it's because you don't I'm want not. You do want to lose it. Right. So this is where I remember I said ignorance is bliss. That's the frustration I'm having is the, the dichotomy between the conscious version of me that can is watching me do the bad habit. Like it's almost like zooming out, yeah, going, yeah. hey, man, you had a heart attack uh, 18 months ago. Why the hell are you walking into this fried chicken place and ordering a whole chicken instead of just, okay, go to the fried chicken, have it, sure. But why do you have to have a family size? Like, why yeah. can't you just stop at that? So that's literally what I'm working on with a kinesiologist. I'm trying to work on it. With, what does that do? What, what do I don't know, man. I'm genuinely, this is that, I'm going to limit how much I talk about that because I'm new to it. Um, it's I, how you feel, isn't it? It's, it's about you oh feeling man, in here. It's, she just grabs my hand, does some weird stuff and taps and then suddenly goes, oh, when you were eight, did you feel like you, you weren't uh, accepted to something? I'm like, what happened in eight? Oh, that would have been 2093. Oh, yes, fuck it. And then so somehow. Of course, of course I did. Yeah. So it's, I don't know whether it's, I don't know if it's placebo effect. I don't know if it actually works. Whatever it is, I don't care because the placebo effect works. So after my last kinesiology session, um, I reckon I went a good six weeks of not binge eating. And when I say that's a big difference between enjoying food and what I do. So this is binge eating. We're talking where we eat beyond the point of satisfaction, right? That's the frustrating part. As you said, like I appreciate you saying you're an intelligent man because I like to think I am. So can you imagine how annoying it is to have the awareness that you're doing the wrong thing and still not being able to to course correct, you know, that's the the hard part. So like I said, uh, uh, with kinesiology, that six weeks was going well. Then I had a couple of, um, you know, a good friend of mine in comedy, she passed away and that kind of, you know, the system started crumbling a bit and was like, find some fine sugar, find high, high, high cholesterol food. You'll feel better if you eat those things. So I'm struggling a bit again, but um, the only difference between me now and say six years ago is that I still make mistakes. I still relapse with overeating, but the time it takes for me to get back on track is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, so, so you're improving all the time. I'm still tr getting better. And that's why I said earlier that the challenge for me now is not to bash myself when it happens. That's the, the first issue is because it causes this shame spiral. But if I can learn to go, hey, you messed up, or rather, hey, you slipped up again, that's okay. Well, you start again. That's okay. Because that that's exactly how you did your comedy. Exactly. And I can't seem, because with food, for some reason, it's this, it's so ingrained. It was like from the age of nine, constantly being told you're too fat or you can't be, you can't play this game because you're too small or this, this outfit that for the drama club, oh, you know, it's tight on you. So we can't give you the role. We'll have to give the role to someone else because you're too, like, it's just so embedded into my DNA that I am physically unhealthy, that I'm constantly like falling back into that equilibrium. So it's do like, you think it's the story of you? Do you think that in it's your It's a story mind, I've told myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a very a very good book called um, Neurocomic. Oh. And I, and I, yeah. And I'll, I'll get yeah. um, just to, maybe we'll buy your copy and send it to you. Oh, that's very kind. Um, <laughs> and it's written by a, a um, neuroscientist and a illustrator, com a comedic illustrator. And what they do is they take you through the process of how your neurological system forms and how in the end it results in um, all our actions actually end up affirming who we think we are, the story about ourselves. So yes. you just told me the story about yourself ever since I've been on, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so Duruk's story is that he was an overweight kid. 
and it's all part of your story. But that also also talks about plasticity of the brain and yeah. how you can actually make changes. And it's written in a sort of funny way, which you you know that you'll get. It's a very easy book to read, but it's quite a brilliant book about bringing home to us that at the end of the day we are the we are, we build a story about ourselves throughout our lives. We form neurological connections in our own brain about who we are, and then we keep doing all those things in our life to affirm that's who we are. Mm. And we and and that that's how we can create really bad habits. Yes. But the good news is you can change that through yes. plasticity. Well, the brain, its ability to change is really important. Um, and I, I just thought, I read that book many years ago. I was a big drinker. And, and I, I was a, not, not, I wasn't um, trying to be accepted, but I sort of was because the group I was hanging around with, um, that's what they did. Yeah. Growing up, every, we all just drank a lot and we drank way, way over, over too much. And we made a lot of mistakes. In my case, it wasn't weight, but it was just getting in trouble, you know. And, uh, and whenever I used, to, I used to get in a lot of trouble. But I read this book. And I thought, fuck, hang on, I got to be, I can be different, mm. and it made me change. And this book, I read this book twenty five years ago or something like that. It's been around for a long time, but it's a bloody good book. And it's about understanding how you think, but you can't do all these things at once. Mm. If you've got shitloads of things going on in your life, you're really busy all the yes. time. As your case, traveling, yeah, the fucking hotel room, hotel room. It's too easy. You know, Very- one of the things I do. You know, I hate it about myself. I, if I'm in a hotel room, a good hotel, that is. And the first thing I do when I come back from wherever I'm doing and I get there back at nine o'clock at night, I turn the telly on and look in the fridge and they've got a fucking Kit Kat, I am going to eat that Kit Kat. <laughs> okay, I will I'm never glad. buy Kit Kat outside of a hotel room. But if you see there. But, but as soon as I'm in a hotel, uh-huh. my brain says, oh, Kit Kat, uh-huh. have a Kit Kat. And uh, I don't know what that is or, or what it is. Oh, it just makes me feel happy that you whatever get it. Fu- whatever <laughs> chocolate is. Right. But I will never do it anywhere else. Right. Right. Now, yeah. think of that mindset and apply it to every fucking food that's out there. <laughs> that's well, now that, you get uh, now that, you understand. Well, even it, even I like I have the capacity to binge eat salad. Of course I can. But it's it's not as it's not as destructive as knowing that if I do it with fried chicken or ice cream, let's just say those as examples, because I think it comes back to control. So when my life feels out of balance, whether it's death of a loved one, um, you know, relationship issues, whatever, you feel like you are not in control of what's happening in your life. But choosing a destructive behavior feels like incorrectly, but it does feel like I'm still in control because even though this is quote unquote bad for me, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm in charge of my life. So it for me, it's a loss of control. Uh, feeling like I don't have any control in my life that leads me to certain destructive behaviors. And the other thing that you mentioned is so spot on. So two things. One is you talked about you can't do everything. And I think it's so true because if you look at discipline as a muscle, it's like if you're being disciplined about not drinking, not uh, making sure you get your work done, all this stuff, it's hard that muscle atrophies by the end of the day to try and choose a healthy option. So that's why, because I know this about myself, I know what works for me is things like meal prep. You know, if on Sunday I I cook whatever I need to eat across the week, I will stick to it because what happens is it's not that I don't have the knowledge. Like that's the, you know, we are beyond that point. I know what I need to know. There's nothing more that people can tell me. There's just some blocks that are happening that I quickly, and traps that I fall into. So for example, during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, my busiest time of the year, 
you know, coincidentally was when I was filming Utopia, right? The TV show. So I'd finished my stand-up show at like 10.30, somehow tried and fall asleep by 11 to wake up at 5 a.m. to go film from 6 till 7 p.m. and then go do the stand-up show again. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be a month of zero space because in between I'm going to have to learn lines and blah, blah, blah. So I told my personal trainer, hey, you have a client who's a chef, right? Can you tell him what my macros and calories are? So I pay him the the chef like it was quite expensive but he would deliver me deliver me my food for the week so that way i knew out of sight out of mind i just need to go he said you systemize it right so you work that so that's that discipline muscle thing going okay i don't have to worry about it. i'm going to throw money at it because fuck, i know my shot i'm also making some money so I'll i'm also it. making my it's an investment in yep. my longevity yep. right the other thing that you pointed out about the identity shift so when i went when i made the decision to try and get healthier start of 2018 the thing I told myself, and people laugh, but I think people who get it understand what I was doing, uh, which then later got verified by that book, Atomic Habits. But what I did in the first two weeks was I told myself, there's no exercise necessary. All you have to do for the first two weeks is to wear active wear. Just get up in the morning and put the shoes on, put the, run, put the, the active wear on. And it sounds silly, but... On day four, I think it was, or day three, I refused to do it. There was something in my brain saying, nah, I can't be bothered. And my brain's like, and I'm telling myself like a child, hey man, just wear it. You don't have to do anything afterwards. Just put on the outfit. And still I was like, no, don't want to, don't want to do it. Like there's some weird resistance to, at the time, to exercise that I had that I knew for whatever reason it's embedded in me. So by just breaking it down into the first step is just wearing the outfit. And then when I wore it and I went for a walk, it's like I feel like an idiot if I, sorry, if I went for coffee, I feel like an idiot if I don't do something with it. So then I'll get the coffee and just do a little walk. And then the walk became, I'll walk for a minute and a half and run for 30 seconds. Then do that maybe four times. And then I got this app called Couch to 5K that slowly kind of increased it. And then, yeah, the punchline, fast forward 20 months later, I did the whole marathon. But it starts with just teaching myself, hey, you're someone who wears active wear. Like that was the first step, which like the experiment proved, I had a resistance to initially like so imagine trying to tell myself hey you're around 42 kilometers when i didn't even want to wear we even want to wear the outfit you know what i mean that's how bad it was so that's exercise so to date i'm so grateful that i love exercising now so whether it's running gym so gym again hated it the reason i got into it is because i told myself uh, and this is because of atomic habits now the, the the outfit was just on my own or my brother i can't remember but atomic habits gave me this idea which is that i i hated the gym but i do love eminem so he released a new album and i was like all right you can only listen to this if you're in the gym so all of a sudden i'm like "Fuck!" I, 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 the reward is to listen to the song not to work out so then i put on my outfit and i'd go and again you feel like an idiot just sitting on the bench listening to music bobbing your head you're like oh fuck, i better lift some well, you weights have do, you have to compete you have to do something so then i start doing it and before you know it like an hour later i've done my workout you know and so now i'm at that stage where i'm like loving the feeling the process the reward of exercising is doing the activity not the weight loss not the fitness so i've fixed that as well can I ask you but question? food i can't fucking do it well, no, can, I go, can i ask you a question then <laughs> yes if i asked you and i'm gonna ask you this but if you could on average, mm. I mean, there's obviously a, a, a very wide audience that you you appear in front of, and that you, and who and who cheer you, and who actually enjoy your comedy, mm -hmm. whether it's on TV or however it is at the comedy festival, whether it's on, mm. you know, live or it's on television, it doesn't really matter. On average, how would you say 
those people in maybe one sentence of maybe 10 or 12 words would describe you, describe Dilruk. So the audience watching? Watching watching either live or, or, or on television, doesn't really matter. Huh. How would they describe it? It's that's the dude, blah, 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 blah. Dilruk right. is that blah, blah, blah. How I see what you're saying. So it would hopefully, fuck, I hope funny is given. But then afterwards, I think. There's a guy, the a first, funny guy. Funny guy from Sri Lanka, I would say is the so first thing. Skin. Yep, brown. funny guy. Yep. How would they describe it? How do you think that uh, describe Overweight guy? Yeah, well, I think there's definitely a sense of, of like, there is like this shifting identity. Oh, he's the guy that lost a lot of weight. And like, now it's like, oh, he's the guy who's put on weight again. Or now he's the heart attack guy. Or now he's the yeah. accounting guy. Like, yeah. there is definitely, I think it just depends on what. So he's a brown skin guy from Sri Lanka, is really funny. Who, that's that's the consistent who, part I who, think. Who's got a, who's, who's weight fluctuates. Word fluctuates. Yes, 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 yes. And he talks about his challenges and mental health. That's what I would say. So subconsciously, you're probably thinking that, but maybe uh -huh. I wonder if you're consciously, that's who you are. You've identified yourself right. by them. They've they've identified you. You the, think they've identified you as a dude because maybe if, let's say if all of a sudden you lost. And he got down to 75 kilos, yeah, for argument's which, sake. which I did in 2020, yeah. and it, it looks look, pretty weird, actually. Looks skinny. Yeah, yeah. That's look. my point. Yeah. Do you think they might think of you a bit differently? Yeah. So Is I that a problem? No, I think... Or are you funny because you are who you look like? So this is a great, great pocket to chat about, which is in 2016 was my funniest show yet. So I've luckily done funnier ones since, but at the time it was my, let's call it a breakout show. Yeah. Because that was, what was the deal? What were your deal then? What was your so, deal? So, so that was the show that, you know, the people from Working Dog who do Have You Been Paying Attention and Utopia, they came and watched me. They're like, great, let's let's see if you can do Have You Been. Like it, everything starts with that 2016 show. Not everything, but, you know, a lot of yeah, big yeah. steps. And I look back at this 2016 show and 95% of the material was about being a fat pisshead. Like it was either about being obese or being an alcoholic. Right. So you and I Water for that. So then it hit me going, hey man, no wonder you can't lose weight. It's yeah. because you have taken something that causes you pain, found a way to celebrate it, which is probably a good thing to begin with. And but they now, all confirm it. But now they're confirming it and you're now paying rent of it. And as all of these things are happening, like it's like, oh, well, I have like, and so then I realized, is this what I've signed up to, to constantly keep fucking up in life and then sharing it in a humorous way, even though it's really a cry for help. So the following year, I made a rule, 2017, no jokes about my weight, zero fat jokes. I quit drinking by that point, one year in, no jokes about alcohol and no jokes about weight. And sure enough, a year later, I lost the weight. It's because once I started to shed this Image. identity yeah. for myself, or the story I've told myself, this is why people like me. And so now, I think the pocket I'm in now is the post heart attack challenge, which is that I quit drinking, I um, lost a lot of weight, I started getting fitter and healthier, and then still had a heart attack. That's the block that I'm having now, which is finding enthusiasm to be healthy, knowing that that I nearly died anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, so now I'm in this existential challenge of going, what's the point of looking after my body if when I tried it last time, I, you know. Still only died anyway. Yeah, and and and, and the, the, the truth is the opposite. The truth is exercise saved my life, which is that I had this 80% block in my artery. I felt no pain because of all the running I was doing. My cardio system was so strong that it kept pumping through the block. You know, so exercise literally saved my life and made it painless. 
but it's hard for me to internalize that feeling because it's like, God damn it. Like, especially when I think of like, you know, uh, like now when I push when I'm running and you're feeling out of breath, I, I kind of start getting like a panic attack almost going, fuck, is it happening again? And it's just fitness, you know, but it's hard to shake off the fear of what I went through, uh, you know, last year because I keep thinking, oh, no, it's happening again. It's happening again. And it's like, no, 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 it's not. Just keep, you keep pushing. Get a stent in there. I got a stent in, you yeah. know, but you know what I mean? Like it feels natural to feel like my confidence has taken a hit. So that's where the the block I think with, with with terms of food has come to, which is that going, what's the point? I like eating and I like exercising. So why don't I just keep eating shit and keep exercising and stay in this equilibrium, which is not true. This is not who I want to be, Yeah, but it's what I default to. What do you think David Goggins would say if you're sitting here right oh, now? I just like, shut the fuck up and stop being a bitch and all those sorts of things. So I've, I've realized that I have these two voices. I have a, I refer to it as the monk and the drill sergeant. And the drill sergeant is effectively Goggins, but the monk's the more holistic going, hey, you know what, you're doing, you're doing good, you've done well, and hey, be proud of the fact that you don't give up. That's the other thing for me is that I have to remind myself going, hey, the fact that you even still give a shit is amazing. The fact that you still check in with yourself, you keep trying, you fall, you keep trying, you keep going, you keep going, that is in itself something to be proud of and not bash myself as much as I do for, so right now, here's a good example. Uh, my five kilometer runs about 35 minutes for That's the 5k should be I should be happy yeah. but I can't or I struggle to find joy because two years ago I was doing 22 minute 5ks so I'm like how the fuck did I lose you know all that pacing in two years carrying, all, carrying it all carrying all heart attack everything depression all of that's wrapped in there that's the full story but my type A personality is focused on the stats going ah oh, used to do four, four minute, 20 second uh, kilometers. Now you're doing seven minutes. How, sh how embarrassing. You're a failure. Go home and eat your feelings. You know, like instead of going, no, 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 dude, you're still trying. Well done. Look at this. Five years ago, you couldn't walk uh, 100 meters without sweating. Now you're like upset because you did, you know, a 5K in 35. Like it's not the, like for me, the fact that 5K is now my normal, you know, that should be the reward. The fact that I, hey, running 5Ks is not a challenge. It's just what I do now. But I don't think like that. I'm focused on the trajectory, being like, oh, man, I used to be so much faster. You know, I, 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 I'm going to wrap it, but I, I mm. want to say this to you. Um, I think that this conversation for me, uh, uh, you've enlightened me on some things in relation to what I was thinking about myself in relation to some things. Um, because sometimes I'm too hard on myself. Because like expectations of myself are way, way too high. I do want to say to you is that I mean I, I want to thank you for, for your honesty, like the way you talk today, your honesty. Um, but I I do think that the best lesson that I've got out of listening to you is how you became a good comedian. How it took years to become a good comedian based on whatever I did today. I'm going to do a bit better tomorrow instead mm -hmm. of beating yourself up too hard. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that in relation to something that I've been working on for myself. So maybe that is the solution. Don't be too tough on yourself. Don't expect things to happen too fast. And just keep doing what you're doing because it, it seems to me it's worked. You're a kid who's come from another country, mm. brown skin kid, which, you know, is a tough environment. Open up and, you know, trying to do stuff in Melbourne, become, you know, yeah. on the university campus, trying to yeah. become accepted by a whole lot of other guys, girls. Not an easy thing to do. You've broken through a lot. You have done a lot of good things. And yeah. Your system is good. It is, yes. Can I tell you maybe what to sort of, 
help us to wrap up, I guess, is I think it, for me, it comes down to the marshmallow test of delayed gratification. That is, if I would identify a weakness of mine, it is in sitting with the delayed gratification. When I was able to enjoy, so the marshmallow test, for those of you who don't know, is you give give a kid a marshmallow tail if you wait a certain amount of time, uh, you'll get a second one. And if, if, you do, if you eat it beforehand, you don't get the reward, right? So that's a perfect framework to describe everything that we've touched, which is with comedy, the waiting was joyful to me. It was like playing video games. I don't want to finish this level until I've explored the whole thing, then I'll get to the next level. And when I say, then I want to see the whole level there. There was no urgency to finish the game because I loved playing the game. I want to explore level one. Once I finish that, then I'll go to level two. Whereas a lot of my peers were like, hey, how do I get on the comedy festival gala? How do I get management? How do I do an hour? I'm like, who cares? We get to play now. Like, this is the joy. Same with um, with with studying in school, like back then, there was the delayed gratification was going, if I apply myself to this, mom will reward my efforts by buying me a Game Boy or a, 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 a computer just for the effort. The, 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 the reward was already in the, in the delaying. Do you know what I mean? Like I can sit with the discomfort because I know it's coming. The weight loss, I did it with a friend of mine, Ben, uh, with your podcast called Fitbet, yep. which is wrapping up, but we have uh, about 250 episodes you can listen to. There, the reward wasn't the reward as much as it was a punishment, which is that if I don't um, eat carefully or if I don't exercise, then he's going to win the bet. The thousand bucks. The thousand bucks. So all of a sudden now, my you know reward or, or punishment is present tense. But now where I'm at with food, when I overeat, the damage of that is in the future, not in the present. So therefore, the punishment doesn't feel immediate. Yeah. And same with the reward of, of eating healthy. There is no big nutritional, there's not a noticeable difference. Not, not noticeable today. Today. But I have to find a way to gamify my, my system to get a reward from eating healthy today. So I have little apps that are like streaks and all these sorts of things or sending photos to my parents saying, hey, look at this, you know, omelet I made. And they'll say, hey, well done. And that's like my knowing that I value their approval, that it's going to fuel me. You know what I mean? And I also know I have a, uh, what's the word, a silver bullet if I want to use it, which is my ego again, that if I put this out publicly, like, okay, so today on your podcast, if I said, hey, it's guys. public now. Yes. If I said, Hal, you know what? In four years time or two years time, I'm going to have six pack. And if I actually put it out there, I know that my insecurities are so severe that I would do whatever the fuck I can to get that because I've now called my shot like Babe Ruth, you know, but I don't want to do that anymore because I want to learn how to, I need to learn how to not disappoint myself because in that other version, I am only doing it to not disappoint the people who yeah. follow me on Instagram or whatever. And like that's your friends not, at uni when you were friends drinking. Friends at uni, correct. Instead of going, no, no, you, your opinion of yourself is what matters. So I need to get better at not disappointing myself because I'm so used to letting myself down, but I will never let, not never, but I rarely let other people down, you know? So as soon, if I said to you, Mark, man, whatever reason it's important to you to have that I have six pack in two years, I'm like, man, I'll do it for you. No worries. <laughs> and I'll get shredded for no reason, but it should be for me. No, totally. 
and and so that's where my block is is it comes down to that delayed gratification is like how long can i sit with so now what i'm working through is telling myself going okay you want a fit body how about we don't put our goal as November 17th, you know, which is from, I'll tell you why specifically is because I'll be performing at the opera house. And I was like, oh my God, that's so fucking cool. I need to look as, you know, trim as possible because it's going to be taped. I'm like, shut up. Who gives about fuck about that? How about two years from now, you say to yourself, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. And you slowly build to that and learn to sit with this idea that this is a long game. Whereas I'm so fueled by sprinting. And I'm like, no, you're not a sprinter, you're a marathon runner. Slowly build to what you can actually achieve rather than getting upset that, ah, oh, fuck, I didn't do this hardcore weight loss in one month and, you know, miss my target. So what's the point? Let's just eat more fried chicken. You know, I, 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 I just think the, the biggest lesson I got out of this whole discussion is um, how important it is to know, your, not only know yourself, but know how to hack your own brain. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about. Huh? You're hacking your own brain. I uh, yeah, and and all the time. And 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 it's frustrating to feel like I have to. No, but it doesn't matter. I know it but works. It, it's and I think your point is you got to do it for yourself. You got to do it for yourself. You got to hack your own brain. Mm. Otherwise, you're not. If you're not hacking your own brain, it means you're doing it for somebody else. So I reckon hacking your own brain actually you're, you're outsmarting your own brain. Yeah, you're, you're, you're it comes from understanding. Totally, totally. You first need to understand what your shortcomings are and how you operate. And then it's a case of going, okay, given this is the the framework or the wiring uh, uh, that I have, I can't just apply what my brother did or, you know, I can see my brother, he has a good balance, you know, and he's my closest comparison genetically and everything. And I always keep going, well, if he can, you know, eat balanced surely i can and i've had to go no you can't you're someone who's either completely yeah, you're in- not david goggins either right yeah exactly you're not, but you're not. Yeah, yeah i'm not exactly but i keep thinking that going oh well if he's doing it and i'm not doing that then i must be a failure but I, mean, I think it's good to get those people to inspire you perhaps yes. or perhaps motivate you a bit or inspire you but at the end of the day, you've got to work out your own process yeah. your own technique yeah and I, I i so and i think that hacking your own brain which is by the way it's a very difficult thing mm. because your brain's pretty smart. Yeah. You know, like, and it's got all these behaviors in there. Oh, and it knows all your it's insecurities. Complex and oh. and it, it's, it's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, Constantly. hang on, Dil Rook. Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You're in the room, you're on your own, you're feeling lonely, you're yeah. out, of your, out of your comfort zone, you're not in the city, uh, just go down the IGA down the road there and, uh, you know, rip, rip in. But it's a pretty clever, but I think it's just as bad as courageous as leaving an accounting job <laughs> and becoming a stand-up comedian right it's, i appreciate that because you got the courage yeah you i appreciate that, that. you got that thank you i do appreciate and again i appreciate that coming from you because you've obviously you you work in you you're exposed to the world of high like high performers do you know what i mean mm. and and for me though i think someone's physical discipline of discipline around their health, forget forget size. Let's just talk about health and what's choosing good options for them. To me, is a really good character trait. Do you know what I mean? I can. It's it's really unfair because I, given the fact that I'm someone who struggles with it, to say this, but it's true. I think someone who's able to find uh, a mastery of their own health to as as much as possible we all know that you can get a diagnosis of cancer out of nowhere and fucks you up but we know that ignoring that but you doing the best you can for yourself to me is a sign of someone who values themselves and for me the fact that i struggle with that particular element shows me that i have a lot more work to do about self-esteem and going why is it that i'm okay disappointing myself why have i convinced myself that 
yeah, I, I can't let other people down. But, you know, if you make a promise to yourself and you don't keep it, ah, who cares? You don't, you know, you're full of shit anyway. Do you know what I mean? I think people do care. No, I know. But I'm saying it's like I need to remind myself that I need to do these things for me. Yeah, and you need to care. I need to care, correct. And, and so it's yourself. like understanding why is it that I don't, why is it that I can make a promise to myself and then break it? You know, why, why can't I, why isn't it enough that only I am disappointed? You know, that should be enough. And you don't need to please everybody, just yourself. Yeah, yeah. Got to be a bit selfish. You know what's, it's, and I, I, I guess, you know, for anybody, this is, mm. he's a funny bastard, this guy. He's a comedian. <laughs> and I, but I just, I don't know, I, I apologize, but at the same time, I'm pretty happy about it, um, that we talked about some heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, in relation to, for somebody who's such a funny bastard. And, uh, so the the the, um, you know, the the interaction of the two is very very curious to me, and what I want to wish you is another three thousand good weeks. Okay, that's going to take you to a hundred. Oh, great! Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. I wish you for those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's up to you to achieve it. Right. How about I? Yeah, I'll come back in two years with my six pack, and we'll do this again and I, see well, what the inside does. Maybe have a six pack. <laughs> I just want you to live for another three thousand weeks. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Dimitri Gremos. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.